good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or what are you listening to in the middle of the night? <laughs> Wherever you are, what time it is, doesn't matter. What matters is you are here and I'm here for another episode of my weekly show, The Break with Father Roderick. Thanks for the privilege of your time. Plenty of stuff to talk about in this show, but let me first welcome a few new patrons. Jeremy Lorton, Carlos Lander, and David Cravens all joined the vibrant Patreon community, and they help me do this work to reach out to people from all over the world and uh, build bridges between the world of faith and the world of popular culture. I literally couldn't do it without your support. So if it's within your means and you believe in my mission and you want to help me and get as one of the perks access to our Discord server and a vibrant, fantastic community and an extra podcast every week, Secrets, Story Secrets, hosted by um, by me, uh, then uh, then check out fatherroderick.com. No, well, yeah, definitely check out my website, fatherroderick.com, um, but also go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I always am remember reminded of how large this world is when I do my show because um, usually I'm also streaming it live on YouTube and hopefully in the future also on other platforms. I'm, I'm looking into uh, getting StreamYard to work with my good cameras. For some reason, I'm working on a Mac. Uh, the, the latest operating system only allows me to use the internal camera when I use StreamYard. StreamYard is a browser-based uh, streaming software. It's fantastic. I love it. It's kind of on the expensive side. Like I still have, am grandfathered in with a kind of 10 bucks a month subscription. Only allows me to do 720p, which isn't that good. But I guess for mobile use, it's it's okay. Uh, but the other day I saw Cliff Ravenscraft using StreamYard and he was on like HD resolution using a real professional camera. It looked amazing. The, and what is so cool about StreamYard in, in, in contrast with the software that I'm currently using, which is Ecamm, that's Mac only, um, StreamYard enables me to to stream to multiple platforms at once. So I use that for my Lego streams, which I do with a, an old Mac. And with the old Mac, I can use my, my good cameras, not with the new one. It's really counterintuitive. So uh, when I whenever I do a Lego chat, I build. I'm currently building a a mock, which is a like a, a mod modified creation based on an existing set. So I had the the big Disney castle in Lego, and now I'm I'm I've deconstructed that and I'm rebuilding it as a modular house, like a a costume, a Disney costume shop. Um, it's a, it's so much fun, and I stream that to. LinkedIn, YouTube, and to Facebook. And sometimes I stream it even to two YouTube channels and to, for instance, Facebook or Twitter. Um, so I would love to be able to do that also for uh, for this show. Um, why am I doing this long introduction about cameras and software? That's not very relevant. Anyway, 
So I'm live, and then in the chat, I see these people from all over the world. There's someone from Malta right now. We've got some Dutch people, of course. Uh, we've got people from the UK, and then all across North America, uh, different parts. In some places, it's raining. In other parts, it's snowing. It's, uh, it's insane how, how big the world is, and it's all like coming together digitally in, in this one place. I absolutely love that. Um, for me, this is the way to connect with the world. For some other people, it may be soccer. Right now, as you know, the World Cup Championship is going on in Qatar. Um, and, well, this is still the first phase, you could say, of the contest. And so a lot of countries are still um, competing for the next round. And, um, and then ultimately Brazil will win. That's usually how it goes. But <laughs> the Dutch also have a team... I personally, and this is not a secret uh, for anyone who's been listening to me for a while, I'm not into soccer. Never been, never, probably never will be. So I'm not following that at all. Um, and in addition to that, I'm also not too uh, happy with the the the, well, the whole the whole situation around this World Cup. As you know, Qatar is a very restrictive country when it comes to human rights, religious freedom. Catholics are being jailed and persecuted there is there's absolutely no freedom of religion there um uh, people get arrested journalists have been ar arrested there's lots and lots of um uh there are lots of things going on in that country where i think as you know worldwide community we should we should not condone it we should certainly not uh put the spotlights on that in a positive way and then, as you may also know, that there has been uh, a lot of controversy uh, of, of how these stadiums, just not one stadium, but there are multiple stadiums, how, how they were built with uh, basically slave labor. And, and so many uh, uh, people have, have, have died or were seriously injured during, during the construction of these stadiums, and, then the, and Qatar did nothing to protect them. Um, so and and then now FIFA and uh, the <laughs> the the people that make money on this are really trying to keep that kind of under control. But PR wise, just from 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 a communication standpoint, it's disastrous the way they handled this. And and so for me, that's an additional reason to not watch any of the of the World Cup. I'm mean, I'm not judging you if you are into soccer, you want to watch it, but. I would also say, well, you know, keep your eyes open. Uh, th this is this is also maybe an occasion to to take a look at what what's happening there in Qatar. And Qatar is just one of the many countries in the world where uh, stuff like this is going on, where Christians are not able to to profess their faith, where people end up in jail, or where uh, other minorities are are being uh, maltreated and marginalized, and 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 worse. Um, sports is supposed to bring people together, but it, it's your choices do matter. So I, I really hope that in the future, money is not all that matters to the people that organize these things and make these choices. Um, that's why I'm such a fan of the World Youth Days. It's a, from on the surface, looks a bit like a similar event. It's just this big worldwide gathering of young people around. Pope Francis or whoever is going to be the, the next pope. But what I do appreciate of the of the way in which they organize this, this massive global event is that beforehand, 
these young people from all over the world are spending at least a week, if not two weeks, in that country to get to know the the local church, the local communities, the marginalized. They go to to the, when we when we had World Youth Days in Brazil, we went to the uh, to the poor neighborhoods. We heard from people that worked with the marginalized about their plight and how difficult it was, and uh, and that gives. I think that contributes to what these events can, how these events can help strengthen the fraternity between people from all over the world. So don't just focus on the show and on the glamour and on the winners, but also look at the price that some people uh, have to pay on a daily basis to live in a country like that. And let's not forget about them when world, the World Cup is over. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. The big shocking news that didn't make it into my last episode of the break was, of course, the incredible surprise of Bob Iger taking over Disney, taking over the reins of Disney from Bob Chapek, who had just been nominated two years ago as the new leader, the successor to Bob Iger, to lead Disney after these two difficult years of corona restrictions. And he had just been, uh, his contract had been extended for a couple more years when all of a sudden the news broke, and this was on the day that I released my podcast, that uh, the board of directors, I think, had uh, had fired Chapek and had rehired immediately Bob Iger, um, who then did not waste a single minute to start implementing a number of uh, of changes. Now, I've read up on, on uh, what could have motivated this. I, I was personally, uh, first of all, I was shocked. Like, what what is happening? Why do they do this? And then I was also immediately quite happy about this because uh, Bob Iger has been a major factor in the, the in developing the creative side of Disney to what it is today, Disney+. Plus. It was Bob Iger's brainchild. Well, maybe not. Maybe he didn't come up with it, but but it it became the success it was because of Bob Iger. In fact, did you know that Bob Iger watched my review of Disney Plus the day it launched? This is so funny. I heard this when I was invited to uh, do a talk for the people who work at Disney uh, in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. And they told me that um, they had passed on... So I did a review... Um, not in my pajamas, but almost like the day it launched. It launched in the in the, 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 the Netherlands before anywhere else in the world, and so at Disney they had been working for months, if not years, to prepare this launch. And so, of course, as there was so there was so much at stake, they were so eager to hear the first reactions. And I remember waking up super early, um, and and that's where living in the Netherlands uh, gives me an extra advantage because in the, in the U.S. everybody was still asleep, and I I was so excited about Disney Plus because of course Disney Plus also meant Star Wars, right? The Mandalorian. That that's where the Mandalorian would premiere. We 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 didn't have any 
you know, live action TV Star Wars related yet. That was still to come. And so I, um, I considered doing a, a, a video in my pajamas, just showing how eager I was to discover this new platform. I decided against it. So I first took a shower, dressed, and then did my review. And it was literally like on the spot. I, I, I filmed it with my phone in, in my left hand and with my right hand, I was scrolling through all the, 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 the screenshots and was like, oh, this is so cool, this is so cool. It turns out that they, they, I was one of the first people to review Disney Plus and it ended up, that video ended up with, with Bob Iger and he loved it. <laughs> it's just insane. Anyway, so I've been a big fan of, of uh, th- this whole renewal of Disney and especially almost a visionary moment that they launched Disney Plus right before the pandemic. And it, and it was a major source of income, of course, for Disney during the time that their theme parks were closed, where the, the, the movie theater business was collapsing. And it was still, for everyone, it was like, are we ever going to recover from this? But Disney had a steady stream of income from Disney Plus. Now, apparently, this is also why they decided to get rid of Chapek because um, he managed to turn Disney Plus into a disaster financially for Disney. They they were losing billions uh, on the production of of uh, of new material. Um, apparently, well, Disney Plus has continued to grow, but apparently that growth wasn't enough to cover all the costs. And so uh, Chapek... Uh, made the very, very unpopular decision to up the prices two years after the launch. And not up it a little bit, but a lot. So it's it's pretty, you know, a hefty price increase. Um, and and they are still in debt. He was still he was cooking the books to uh, you know he would uh, uh, move budgets for Disney Plus productions to the, the television budget just by premiering a show that was meant for Disney Plus to to air it on on their Disney television channel one one day beforehand so he could then make it seem as if Disney Plus wasn't losing as much money as it did. So I I'm pretty positive that is one of the major reasons that they wanted to uh, to do damage control and to bring back the person who actually did know how to make money off <laughs> the Disney Plus. Um, and then, of course, there was the whole brouhaha about the theme parks. It's kind of beyond the scope of this segment of the show. But uh, Disney theme parks have always been expensive. Um, I, I visited Disney World um I think almost eight years ago now, and I was shocked to see that how expensive it was to just for one day. And then uh, just this earlier this year, I, I I was at Disneyland for the Star Wars convention, and there was a Star Wars night, and we got exclusive ex- access to the to the Disneyland park. Uh, but that, of course, the prices. Oh my gosh, I I was so glad this, that that <laughs> I didn't have to pay for that because <laughs> it's it's just beyond my reach and so apparently Chapek was going to raise the prices way beyond that and it was so expensive that even hardcore Disneyland uh, fans and people that had been going to Disneyland every single year they were enraged it was like there's no way that we can ever afford this anymore if you go there with a family it's it's like the price of a car Um, and then of course this may have been like a short, short-term way of making more money, but it also destroys the confidence and the trust of your uh, of, of your biggest fans and your ambassadors. 
everybody who goes to Disneyland can become a potential advocate and 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 almost missionary of the Disney brand. If they have a good time and it's more or less affordable, they will tell their family and friends and that generates new interest. But if people are 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 miffed and and frustrated because they pay so much and then apparently the 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 overall quality uh, of the parks was going downhill very rapidly because of shortages in staffing and and just they they were uh, kind of cheapening out on a, on a lot of stuff that made Disney the Disney park so famous because everything was perfect and nothing broke the illusion and then when when they start uh, uh, saving money on 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 the quality uh, people don't have that good experience anymore plus they they are paying way more than ever before that turns your biggest ambassadors into your biggest enemies and and more and more that's what i noticed on the on the disney vlogs and on on tiktok and on youtube you saw disgruntled people that had worked at disney parks visitors that were outraged and that just creates such a negative buzz about disney if there's anything that is damaging in the long term it's that vibe of negativity and I believe, and then Chappic uh, uh, was kind of the, 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 you could say, not really the, the scapegoat, because he actually initiated a lot of these changes, these unpopular changes, but he definitely became the symbol of Disney taking a wrong turn. And I, I'm glad that they brought back Bob Iger, who, who uh, when he left, was at the top of his career, um, and I'm pretty sure that he's only going to be there for a couple of years, uh, maybe just one or two years, uh, and then uh, and then he will hand over the reins again. But I hope that they won't make this mistake. Well, the reason that I bring this up in the movie and TV segment is that I believe that this is also going to uh, imply huge changes for Star Wars and for Marvel. Star Wars and Marvel must be, we don't have numbers, of course, but obviously they must be the most expensive elements of disney a lot of disney plus is back catalog that's basically just generating money for them it doesn't cost them anything um uh, yes there is pixar there's a bit of animation there's bits of children's stuff but all that is still relatively minor compared to the big productions uh for these two tentpole franchises for disney now marvel is churning out movie after movie after movie. I haven't seen uh, Wakanda Forever yet. It's currently in theaters. But actually, I don't even plan on watching it in theaters. Because, first of all, I know that in a few months from now, it will be on Disney+. Plus, and I'm already paying for that, so I can wait. It's not essential viewing. Um, there's not much... There's, I mean, beforehand they were mostly talking about how this would be a tribute to uh, to Bozeman, the, the the actor who unfortunately died, uh, uh, but who was the hero of the first movie. And first movie, of course, was a global phenomenon. Um, so there was quite a bit of press around that. But then uh, the movie came out, and eh, the ratings were kind of yeah, it was okay. That was what everybody told me, even the people that I follow. Uh, most of them say, yeah, it was okay, it was fun, it was, it was, yeah. A, a bit like Thor, the last Thor movie, and I was like, oh, well, actually, that last Thor movie wasn't very good. It was okay, 
But I don't want Marvel movies to be okay. I want Marvel movies to be, oh my gosh, I cannot wait. I'm going to be waiting in line the, the night that it premieres. Well, that, that time is over. And I don't think it's because of the franchise or because people don't want to see superhero movies anymore. It's just because there's too much of them and the overall quality is... is uh, is 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 lower is lowered and and it feels too generic star wars has a different problem star wars used to be this very exclusive rare event every three years or four years you know that's how the first trilogy you got a new hope and then nothing for years and then empire strikes back and then another three years or so and then return of the jedi and then 20 years of nothing and then we got the special editions and then oh the prequels and then another period where there's absolutely nothing and then the sequels came out and that around that time disney took over and then they decided well hey we need to make our money back we are going to make a movie every single year basically trying to replicate what they did with Marvel, which, of course, brought in billions of dollars. And they wanted that for Star Wars as well. Marvel, I remember when I was at Star Wars Celebration earlier this year, Kathleen Kennedy compared Marvel with a factory. She says, it's a well-oiled machine. We know how to make a successful movie Time and time and time again. That in itself is already a bit problematic, I believe, because then if it becomes a well-oiled machine, the danger is that it becomes generic and formulaic, which is, I think, one of the issues that Marvel struggles with right right now. Uh, but then she, they obviously wanted to replicate that with Star Wars, and obviously everybody thought that they would pull it off. Their, Star Wars has the most enthusiastic fan base ever. Nowadays, unfortunately, also part of that fan base is very toxic, but uh, all in all, there are like three generations that love Star Wars that you can sell the, these pro productions to. So they were like, okay, we're going to do a movie every single year, which they did. And so we got, you know, the, the, the first sequel, uh, The Force Awakens, which was like a feel-good, like, best-off kind of movie when it comes to Star Wars. It had every Star Wars trope in it, and it was glorious. I loved it. Um, because it didn't break new territory. And then it was all of a sudden, it was Rogue One, which, like, what is that? Rogue One? Okay, so it's a prequel to A New Hope. And everybody was super s skeptical. And then how is this going to work? It was going to be a war movie. And then apparently there was a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, they, they, the, the movie didn't have direction and it, it, it didn't work. And so they decided to, to um, basically get, get, get new people on board. Part of the script was rewritten. A lot, they did a ton of reshoots. And there are still, I have a theory about what exactly they changed, which we actually don't really know for sure. But there are some elements in this movie that indicate that, that the, the, the changes were massive, uh, especially towards the, the, the third act of the, of the movie. Um, but nevertheless, the final result, despite all the trouble they had filming it, was, was a huge success because it broke new ground. 
that was the big difference with Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace, not Phantom Menace, The Force Awakens. Force Awakens was like, yeah, the, I, we love it because we know this. We've seen this before. And with Rogue One, it's like, this is Star Wars, but it's not Star Wars. It feels new. It feels fresh. We want more of this. And then they came with the next sequel, and then and then Solo. And Solo was the wake-up call. Like, yeah, maybe one movie every year is a bit too much. And maybe we are actually, you know, there's so many problems during production and then they had to fire the original directors and hire new a new one and it oh, it became a financial nightmare and then the revenue the box office revenue was was much less than they expected so then they then corona and then they started to make television but it again was the same mindset is we need to make our money back we how do we get all these star wars fans to become disney plus subscribers let's do television series one after another one after another and so they gave us the mandalorian which was fantastic glorious it was different it was it was daring it used this new technology with led screens in the volume and it was relatively cheap to make um and everybody loved it and then it's like oh we can do this again book of boba fett let's do that and then it's you started to see that same fatigue not with the fans it became formulaic, and it, the, the, I thought the Book of Boba Fett was a, was a worrying sign of the quality of the writing going down. And so, what? And then, this 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 television production took up all the attention of everybody involved in Star Wars. Think of the the people in in the lead, you know, special effects people, but also the art department. You can't do both like weekly television shows, plus theatrical releases and so everything when it comes to movies went on the back burner we heard that ryan johnson was going to do a trilogy crickets they would do like a rogue squadron movie kind of loosely based on the expanded universe novels by michael stackpole uh crickets didn't materialize. Yeah, some other stuff that needs to be done. And then um, Taika Waititi was going to do a Star Wars movie that would be very, very different and so funny and he's so talented. Crickets. Nothing. He did tour and then we didn't hear about him anymore. And, 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 and so on and so forth. Now, the rumors are that Damon Lindelof is writing the script for a Star Wars movie and that that will actually be the new one. I love Damon Lindelof. I think he's amazing. What he did for Lost is is incredible. Everybody associates it uh, with uh, what's his name? Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think he get got credit enough for for what he did with Lost. Uh, he's a massive Star Wars fan. He's a very talented writer. He's funny. He's, I think he's got the perfect mix of talents for, for Star Wars. But, like, where did, does this come from? Why don't we hear anything about this? Uh, it looks as if they are changing their mind every single month when it comes to these theatrical releases. And then Andor arrives. And Andor blows everybody away. This is, it's just so incredibly good. And it's so good because it's different. It is what Rogue One did for the movies. It's a new genre, new style. And this was, this was the same for television. It felt real, 
more real than anything we've ever seen or read in the Star Wars universe. And it just struck gold. This was absolutely stunning. And I I still think it's the one of the most impressive Star Wars productions that I've ever seen. Movies included. I want movies on this level, with this kind of writing, uh, with this attention to detail and this modern storytelling. It is absolutely fantastic. The finale, I won't spoil anything in case you haven't watched it yet, but it is so masterfully done, especially if you consider that this is television. They're working with a very restrictive budget, and yet it feels like a theatrical movie, even though, of course, they had to compromise on, on what they can show in a finale like that, considering, you know, the sets you've built and, and, and the budget for the special effects. But nevertheless, story-wise, it was phenomenal how they brought all these characters together, how they gave us a satisfying conclusion, and at the same time whetted our appetite for season two. It's one of the best things that Star Wars has ever seen. But it also reminded me of why we need movies. Because this felt like a movie. And I think if, if, you could, if you could put Tony Gilroy and the people that made Andor, if you can put those on a theatrical series, I think it, it will elevate the the Star Wars franchise to new heights. I think it will surpass anything that has ever been done in the Marvel Universe. Because, because the writing, because the potential of, of the stories and of the universe that, that George Lucas created. And I think that Bob Iger is going to be the one who will actually move that forward. I, I cannot imagine that he is going to just sit there and watch how Disney Plus just continues to do the same thing over and over again, not making enough money. I, I do believe that he knows the, the value of these tentpole productions that challenge the, the 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 writers and the creators and the Star Wars people that that prevent them from from being complacent with what they do now it challenges them to to surprise the fans like what Andor did to everybody was like oh my gosh it restores my faith in Star Wars and I can understand that mindset I tend to be more positive about Star Wars even about the television shows but if you if you consider Obi-Wan Kenobi and the, and the, just the massive potential of that series and then to see what a a relatively cheap production it was how cheap it looked I love the writing don't get me wrong I love the characters I love the actors it was all brilliant but it deserved a bigger production it deserved more investment I want I want to Obi-Wan Kenobi to, to be like Andor. <laughs> and, and, and I tr I believe that they absolutely should do a sequel to the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Again, with Hayden, with, uh, with Ian McGregor, telling a different story. It doesn't have to be about Luke or Leia. They can do something else. But please do it the way Andor was done. To get out of that LED screen, artificial, cheap, production method i understand but this is this is why and i think bob Iger understands that this is about the trust and and the enthusiasm that you need to nurture when you're working with brands like this and the moment you lower your standards whether it is in a theme park or in a television production you lose that trust and people will look elsewhere because disney is not the only party 
there are so many other great productions and and challengers and and as long as you think that well we're disney we're star wars marvel what where would people go well it's very simple just go to other other uh, subscriptions and we'll we'll get netflix or hbo or or whatever amazon you you can lose your fans if you don't focus on your area of excellence so i'm looking forward to what's to come and i hope that uh, they won't revert back to the way they used to do things even though a lot of the television stuff was already in production way before of course the 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 change in leadership we got willow starting this week i'm I'm relatively interested in not excited i thought the willow movie was fine it's never been one of my favorites and i heard some mixed reviews people usually tend to like the first few episodes but warwick davis apparently is not at the top of his uh, performance which kind of saddens me because he's a important character but we'll see we'll see um i i like that they are continuing the kind of to building the fantasy world but i hope it's not going to be another one of those dark crystal productions where they try one season and then basically everybody says yeah yeah let's not do this again i i hope that 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 anyway we'll see we'll have to wait and see um Gosh, and then uh, what else am I spending my time on uh, when it comes to television? I, I'm watching, I'm still mesmerized by For All Mankind. I'm now in the middle of season two. It is insanely good. Oh my gosh, it's different from Andor. It's it's a bit more classic TV, but so well written, so incredibly well acted. It is it definitely, I mean, hardcore science fiction, this is what you want to watch. It's insanely good. I, I'm so, like, every episode is good. There's not one single throwaway episode where you're like, oh, they probably did the filler thing. No. I, like, the drama, the emotions, the 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 humor. Oh, it's so good. The story is, like, I cannot wait to see what happens next. The last time I had that experience was with, was with another series by... by uh, 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 by Ron, uh, oh gosh, uh, Ronald D. Moore. Uh, that was Battlestar Galactica. This series gives me that same gives me that same vibe. Like, I, oh, this is a these this is this is a series I can step into a different world, into this alternate u- history, and and I just want to I want to see what's next. They're now already bringing in so it's advancing. It started with the, the Apollo time. Now they're in the spatial time. I grew up in those era in the, in those in those years. They're in the 80s in season two. And that was my, the time that I was in secondary school. So it's like, oh my gosh, I'm home. <laughs> this is my life that I'm seeing here. And uh, back then I wanted to become an astronaut. Like one of the characters in season two is called Wubo. Ockles, Wubo with a W. That is a real guy. He was our first. And now we have two astronauts. But back then he was the only astronaut in, in Dutch history. And he flew with the space shuttle. And he was my hero. And it was so cool to see that they brought his character back in in this alternate time. Of course, the events didn't happen the way we see them in For All Mankind. But I was like, oh my gosh, it's Fubo Ockles. That is so awesome. 
Yeah, it was a little. It doesn't look like Wuba Uckles. He has a, a mustache, but but that's where the similarities end. But still, oh my gosh! And it's one of the craziest names you've ever heard. Wubo. Wubo Uckles. <laughs> Sounds like a stage name, right? <laughs> Catholics rock! It is time for a visit to the Peculiar Bunch. This is a place where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, uh, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I want to answer another question that was uh, asked by... uh, uh, one of our patrons over at uh, patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. We're heading uh, towards this second Sunday of Advent, which is the time of preparation for Christmas. If you want to get a refresher of what that all means, uh, make sure you listen to the previous episode of this show. Liz wants to know, I heard two bits of information with regard to how we should approach uh, Advent this year from two different sources, but both are English. One from a handout thingy from church printed by our diocese, and the other by a Franciscan priest who does videos from the Diocese of Leeds. That approach is that This year, Advent is divided in two parts. The first part, from this first Sunday up until December the 16th, we should focus on the second coming of Christ. And then after that, we focus on the first coming of Christ. And that got me thinking, has this come from Rome, as suggested? Uh, Is this uh, as a suggested approach to Advent worldwide? Or is this a thing that is decided by local bishops? Uh, Is this a like something in in my country or is this worldwide um thanks for for answering well it it's interesting the, these two aspects are obviously um very much linked to the time of advent advent advenire in uh, in latin means uh, uh coming so it's all about this messiah that was promised uh for 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 many many centuries uh, that people at the time of Jesus were looking forward to, just like any faithful Jew was 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 hoping that that, that this prophesied Messiah would come and and deliver them and and install uh, uh, install uh, start a new reign of you know prosperity and and God's uh, blessing over the country blah 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 whatever you want to associate with the deliverance um, and then uh, ultimately uh, the, the this 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 a promise was fulfilled in the coming, the first coming of Christ, which is the birth of this small child with uh, his mother Mary, uh, a virgin, even though she she became the mother of, of Jesus, and then Joseph, who uh, who was a father to, to Jesus. Um, but it's a child of uh, of the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. He is both man and God. At the same time, two natures, one person, um, and everything hinges on his first coming. That was the biggest change in history because God entered our our world. Uh, he was always present in all the stories of the Bible as the one who leads his people, who loves them, who forgives them, always sends his messengers, his prophets, 
sometimes even uses events in the history uh, that were unfortunate, wars and famine and whatnot, to, to shake up his people, to wake them up, to hopefully lure them back to, to following uh, his path and his commandments. But then he ends up sending his own son, who becomes one of us, and is at the same time still God. And, and that opens the future. And he died for us and went back to his father in heaven, but not without promising us that he would return. One day, someday, when? Nobody knows. And the people that say they know, they're lying, because Jesus himself doesn't even know. Only the father knows. And so it's this second coming, this expectation that one day Christ will return, and that will also hallmark the end of our history, the end of the world as we know it. And it will be the installation, the full installation of the kingdom of God. We are still in this in-between phase where we have been delivered. Christ has walked with us, but he also will come back. And so the world in which we live isn't yet perfected. The perfection is there, but it hasn't fully uh, captivated everyone. There's still sin in the world. There's still darkness and pain and suffering. And so we know that as long as we have that awful stuff happening in the world, as long as people are suffering and are hurting each other, this cannot be the kingdom of God. But the beginning is there, and it's growing but the fulfillment will, will be when Christ returns. And that will lead ultimately to the resurrection of the flesh. Everybody will, will be again a soul and a body, the way that we are made. We, 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 we need to be both. Uh, we're not angels or pure spirits, but we're spirit and a physical body. And it will be. And, and how. We should imagine that and when exactly that is and which signs will, will, will warn us that, that Christ is coming. Uh, it, the Bible only writes about that in symbolic language, like the, um, the last book of the Bible, um, the Re book of Revelations. Um, that's an apocalyptic piece of literature which deliberately uses very kind of graphic, for us sometimes very hard to understand language, to to describe something you can't describe. That's why it's so full of images. And a lot of these images are also culturally influenced and, and refer, seem to refer to, to events in, in history, but at the same time, you can interpre interpret them in many different ways. What is most important is uh, how. That's not really our business. When, it's not really our business. What is our business is that we need to wait for that second coming. It's part of our faith. It's an essential part of our faith because it, as I explained, does constantly tell us that the world in which we live is not exactly yet what's to come. We still live in this in-between phase, and and so it comes in. It comes to faith and trust that what Christ prophesied, what he what he promised, will be fulfilled, just as the promises for the coming of the Messiah were fulfilled when Jesus was born during the first coming. So it, it's this, we're not just 
kind of living and there's waiting for stuff to end. No, we're, we're, there's direction in our lives. There's direction in our history. It goes somewhere. And where, where does it go? It goes to, it. we are walking towards Christ and he is coming to us. And so that's the second coming. These two elements are very important in Advent. It's not just about birth of Christ, but it's not just remembering uh, an event that took place 2,000 years ago. This should also remind us that he will come back. But wait, there is more, as they say in advertisements. There's actually a third coming of Christ. And it is in between his first coming and his second coming. It is him coming towards us in the present, today. And when do we celebrate that? Every time we celebrate Mass, every time we come together in church, he is there where two or three are in are together in my name. I am in their midst, says Jesus. It's not when two or three people are thinking of me, then they will remember me. No, Jesus makes it very specific. I will be there. I will not let you be orphans, he says. If that presence of Jesus is only symbolic, it's only something that we make up in our minds as a memory or maybe even like positive self-talk, like what would Jesus do? That is not enough. He says, I will be there. And the, the most concentrated way in which he is there, according to the Catholic faith, is when we celebrate the Eucharist. And when the priest pronounces these words that Jesus said during the Last Supper, this is my body, this is my blood. His presence is not just merely symbolic, but it's real. He's really there. He is already fulfilling his promise that he wouldn't leave us alone, that he will be with us until the end of times. Well, he is. This is why Catholics have such a veneration for, for, uh, for the host, for the consecrated host. It's why we kneel when we enter a church. It's because we show reverence to Jesus who is present in the tabernacle, who once the bread and the wine have been transformed into his body and blood is not just during the time that we're thinking about that or we're imagining that or symbolically we're expressing that. No, he, when he says, I will be there, he is there. And it's not like it's not like Schrodinger's cat. Like, yeah, I'm there in the host, but only if you are there. And when you're not there, then maybe I'm there, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not. No, it's like I am there. This is why next to the tabernacle we burn, we burn this light. This, this and it's always burning. It's to show that Jesus is present there, and He is with us. He hasn't left us alone, but it's a hidden presence. It's so hidden. You can't taste it. You can't analyze it. If you put a host, consecrated host under a microscope, you will see no difference with, uh, with regular bread or unconsecrated hosts. But because it's metaphysical, it's above the physical reality that we can see, just like God is always, per definition, above the perceptible universe. Otherwise, it wouldn't be God. If we can look at it under a microscope, if we can, we can prove it, then, then it's probably not God. So the third coming of Christ, that this is also part of Advent. This is, this is why Advent is a time of prayer, a time of penance. And what are prayer and penance? Prayer and penance are ways to strengthen your relationship with Christ who is here and now with us. 
it's not just something you do for someone who used to be with us or maybe one day will come again. No, then prayer wouldn't wouldn't have meaning. The prayer is a relationship. It's, a, it's an expression. It's a conversation, a dialogue, a meeting with Jesus himself. A communion, going to Mass, giving to the poor, you know, almonds. Is, no, that's not how you say it. <laughs> almonds are nuts. Uh, how do you call it? Uh, anyway, gifts, uh, which is also part of the, of the penance, uh, you know, you share. That's also literally a, a meeting Christ in the flesh because whatever you did for the smallest, you did for me, says Jesus. If you give someone even a drop of water, you have given me to drink. And that's what you will be judged upon later on when I come again. What have you done for me? Well, we have never seen you naked or poor or sick or, you know. And then Jesus says, well, actually you did. But you walked by. You didn't do anything to help. And that was me. And again, not just symbolically. Jesus is that poor person, that desolate, desperate, sick, lonely person that knocks on, your, on the door of your heart and asks you to have communion with him, to be, to be unified with him, to, to, to celebrate friendship. So anyway, so it's the three comings of Christ. Now, is this whole division into, well, the first part of Advent is, the fir- is about the second coming and the, the second part is more... Eh, no, that's not, that's not an official, like, liturgical uh, uh, division. However, obviously, since the church is very, very much a teacher... This is of obviously how the readings are structured. So the, the Sunday readings, they do remind us of that, of that second coming. But then as Christmas approaches, the readings bring us closer to that particular event. But it doesn't mean that the second coming is all of a sudden out of the window. It's always in the church. Catholic church is always and, and, not and, or. It's not like the first part is second coming and the second part is the first coming. No, it's everything at once. <laughs> and it's also the present coming of Christ. It's all all three together. It's and and and. So how do you how do you? It's kind of a bit of a mind warp to think. Oh, how am I going to process all that? Well, you don't have to. You just live the liturgy, and become you become part of something. You don't need to always think about your faith or express it for it to nourish you. That's what I love about Catholic liturgy. It's meant to step into... It's a world, it's a ritual you step into. It's not just yours. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't have, always have to speak your exactly your language. It's a mystery. And you step into it. And, and then it, it envelops you and it, it nourishes you. And oftentimes in a way that you can't even really express intellectually or in words. It's not necessary. That's why art is so important in the church and music it often helps us to express, to, re- to reply to what we experience in ways that, that we cannot describe, that, that the art evokes something without, without putting it in a box. This is, this is kind of, these are my thoughts when it comes to Advent. So, yeah, the liturgy has a certain rhythm and a certain kind of like a way to bring us closer to the historical event. But, it's not 
like a hard cut. Like, okay, so now we're done with this, and now we move on to this. Hope that helps. Before I tell you about books, uh, let me dive into the kitchen here. And I want to share with you something I, um, I made for Thanksgiving. Now, obviously, Thanksgiving is a North American uh, uh, ritual um, and not something that we celebrate here in the Netherlands. Uh, but I still I have so many friends in the United States. And I was in the U.S. at least once, maybe even twice during Thanksgiving and so I've come to appreciate that tradition and uh, uh, the whole turkey stuff and uh, all, the, all the rituals because we live in this kind of very North American dominated culture through movies, television shows, uh, cartoons, um, the internet, TikTok, YouTube. Um, we can't help but, but also <laughs> kind of being... being uh, at least we, we are familiar with what it what it is, even though we don't celebrate it. But maybe over time we will, although that would be kind of weird because we have nothing to do with the historical events that <laughs> form the occasion for Thanksgiving. But anyway, but giving thanks around this time of the year is actually um, something that we do, for instance, in, in the Christian tradition, especially in the Protestant tradition, there was this uh, habit of every year when, when the harvest was done, to go to church and to give thanks for the harvest, for a successful harvest. And that's still a practice in, uh, in a lot of Protestant churches. And w I wouldn't be surprised if the Dutch migrants brought that tradition and connected it with historical events to ultimately result in, in Thanksgiving as we know it. But since I, I had the pleasure, actually, I remember now, the first time I was in the U.S. for Thanksgiving was with my grandmother, who lived in San Francisco. And I remember that my uncle, who also lives in San Francisco, uh, prepared a turkey. And it was this big thing. And I'd never heard of that tradition because I was like just straight out of seminary. I hadn't been ordained yet. And, um, but I was also done with my study. So I had this extended time off. And he insisted on making the turkey. My grandmother didn't like it at all because she didn't like turkey. Plus, she was like, why, why would you cook something like a big chicken like that and do or nothing uh, on the side? And she, she of course, was Chinese, and, and she was a very, very good cook. Oh, my gosh. But my, 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 my uncle was like, no, 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 I have to do this. And then he botched it. And I remember that we were talking in the living room of my grandmother, and all of a sudden the smoke alarm went off, and the turkey was completely black. And, and <laughs> it was a total fiasco. So we cut off all the dark, you know, charcoal pieces and then we ate the rest. And my grandmother was like, told you so. <laughs> the second time I was, um, I think I was with Captain Jeff and Linda uh, for Thanksgiving. And, uh, and it was wonderful. And, and that's where I got the, all the, the, the side dishes. And it, it was just, it was so perfect. Plus, I loved the idea of getting together for, for a family meal. And then everybody was, was, was helping in the kitchen to prepare. And I have such fond memories of that evening. It was wonderful. And so last week, 
Um, so Inga, who also is our community manager, she's been with me to, to the US uh, at least once, maybe, no, several times actually. So she also is very familiar with the tradition. And, and so I was like, hey, would, do you want to come over and we'll just prepare a Thanksgiving dinner? And so that's what we did. We didn't do turkey because I, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. And plus it's expensive. And uh, what am I going to do with an entire turkey? But I, I just asked Inga, do you have a recipe that we can make? Surprise me. I'll do uh, the shopping if you, if you come up with a recipe. So she said, let's do pigs in a blanket towed in a hole. I was like, okay, I've never heard of that. It's not an American recipe. Apparently it's from, from England. I, I may be wrong, but so, and it's actually two dishes, which I only discovered after we ate it and then when I posted pictures on, on the web. But pigs in blanket is actually just sausage with bacon around it. Um, and, and, and so I, I think it should be actually small sausages with uh, wrapped in bacon and then you just put that in the oven. And it's a, it's a nice snack. Uh, pigs in blanket, so yeah, it's a, the blanket is the bacon and the pig is the pig, but it's all pig. <laughs> and then the, the the toad in the hole is something totally different. It's this kind of very fluffy, kind of like very thick pancake thing. And uh, but the recipe combined the two, so it was pigs in blanket inside uh, a toad in the hole. Now toad in the hole has nothing to do with toads, um, but uh, it looked so good. It, you, so the, the the photo, it, the, I think um, I have. A, I will post a link in the um, uh, in the show notes on fatherroderick.com. The photo looked absolutely delicious. You would see this. Uh, uh, wait, okay, dismiss the thing. Let me just zoom in here. Uh, it showed a whole bunch of sausages uh, swimming in this big fluffy golden brown yellow cake it looked fantastic plus it was actually super easy to prepare um so here's the method you need to have uh plain flour i'm not going to do the the quantities you'll just go to the link mustard powder or we just use regular mustard eggs quite a few eggs actually four eggs milk uh streaky bacon sausages um, any type of sausages and some and some sunflower oil and then make some gravy and maybe some steamed veggies as side dishes. Uh, we just made fries and I think I I made a, a like a, a lettuce salad. Um, you uh, tip the flour and mustard powder in a bowl. Beat the eggs until smooth. Whisk in the milk a little at a time until all of it has been incorporated and the batter is lump free. Inga did that. Um, season and set aside. Uh, we we forgot the seasoning, but because the sausages are also very salty, actually didn't end up uh, missing the salt. Wrap a bacon rasher around each sausage, um, then heat the oven to um, about two hundred and twenty degrees Celsius. Drizzle the oil into a large roasting tin. I just used a pan, uh, a carbon uh, carbon steel pan. Um, put in the oven for a few minutes to heat up, then add the pigs in blanket in the hot oil and, and coat them a little bit. I did that in the pan before I put it in the oven. Because like, yeah, why would I just use like a piping hot 
pan from the oven if I can just do that on the induction um, heater. Uh, so anyway, the pigs in blanket need to be uh, caramelizing a little bit. And then you then roast it in the oven for about 15 to 20 minutes, turning over the sausages halfway through until they are sizzling and browned. Then carefully remove the pan from the oven and working quickly, pour the batter around the pigs in blankets. Return to the oven and bake for 25 minutes without, this is very important, without opening the oven door. And then what happened was that the whole... Uh, uh, batter started to rise and it became this big fluffy cloud of 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 yellow brownish golden deliciousness and then the the sausages were kind of wrapped into this cloud you could still see them a little bit and they were turning like red and it was ah the smell was fantastic and then after 25 minutes, when the toad in the hole is ready, uh, puffed up and deep golden brown, you take it out of the oven, serve it with gravy. Oh, I'm actually so sad that I don't have any leftovers. But this was, I actually liked it a lot better than turkey. And it's a ton cheaper. It was delicious. Go check out the recipe on fatherroderick.com. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? All right, I'm still reading my books. I'm still on schedule. Love, love, love reading every single day. I actually, just before I started recording this, I got a couple of boxes from parishioners, new parishioners uh, that uh, moved here from The Hague. Or actually, they, they are from Delft. She's not far from The Hague. And they had a friend uh, who was a priest who unfortunately died, and he left a huge library of books. Um, and they sent me photos, and they said, are you interested in any of those books? Uh, but there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. I like book books. Um, and so they, they ultimately, like I, I didn't really have time to go through all those photos. Um, and so they made a selection for me, and they brought them uh, uh, to, to my place uh, just, just an hour ago. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, to reading a couple more of those books for my reading list. Um, but I actually am so happy that I ultimately decided to go uh, resubscribe to Marvel Unlimited. Now, Marvel Unlimited is a service uh, now also owned by Disney, of course, uh, where you pay a subscription and then you can read all the Marvel-related comics. And not just Marvel, it's also Star Wars. Because there are lots of comics, Star Wars comics. I used to have Marvel Unlimited. I kind of like that idea because I never buy comic books. In fact, you can't even get them anywhere. The Netherlands is not a country for comics. A few cities may have the occasional comic book store, but uh, it's expensive and they say just, I don't know. Nowadays, comics are in series, and I, I don't visit comic books that fast. So I love this subscription idea. Just read as much as you want for, for a monthly fee. But the thing is, it was getting quite pricey. I think it was about 69 a year. And then when you're subscribing from the Netherlands, you have to add tax taxes to that. So it became a bit expensive, especially because I already have other subscriptions to streaming platforms 
but I did miss it. I was like, especially with the, with the Star Wars stuff, and then with Miss Marvel and and Moon Knight. I love those television series, but it was just one season. I want to know more about these characters that I love so much. But I don't have Marvel Unlimited anymore because it was a bit too expensive. And 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 Star Wars, of course, has launched this whole High Republic thing, where it's a new era in Star Wars history, where the Republic was at the height. It was like the gold, golden era of the Jedi and the, and the Republic. And then they launched this whole, um, you could say, sub-franchise of stories and comics and children's books. And it all takes place in the High Republic. And I reviewed a, one or two books in the past, and I just couldn't get into it. It's just... Because there's no movie. There's no... I'm a visual thinker. I'd like to see what it looks like. And um, the books didn't cut it for me. So I kind of stopped reading it. And I felt sad about that because it's obviously a big thing for Star Wars fans. Uh, When I was at Comic-Con last week, the writer of the first novel in the High Republic series was actually sitting there at a table all alone. And I was afraid to approach him. I could have you know, started a conversation with him. He was signing books and, but you could just, it was different from the signature booths where you have to pay money. And he was sitting there mostly browsing his phone and nobody came to talk to him. And I I, I felt bad because I never finished a book. And so I, I was too shy to walk up to him. And actually I didn't really like the book. I, I love the audiobook version of it. The audiobook salvaged that first book, but I haven't finished listening to it. So I, I just, I saw him and I was like, am I going to strike up a conversation? I was like, no, but then I have to say that I didn't really like the book. <laughs> so, oh man, I felt so bad. But most of all, I was like, dude, I am a Star Wars fan. I need to get into this. I'm, I'm obligated as a Star Wars fan to, to dive into this era. And that is that's pushed me over the edge when I saw the Black Friday uh, offer for uh, Marvel Unlimited, which was just fifty bucks, and that, so that's twenty bucks less than what I normally would pay, and it's for, just for the first year, obviously. But um, okay, fifty bucks, okay, that is I'm gonna I'm gonna bite the bullet because there's an entire series that takes place in the High Republic. And it uses characters and situations and events from the novels. But it's visualized and it's canon. And in in lieu of a television series, which I think they should have done first, or an animated series, whatever, I think that would have been so much better for the whole whole thing. Just give us some visual material and then do Expanded Universe. But, uh, But these comics are really helping a lot. So I now finally can see what that world looks like and through the and the comics don't copy the novels but they do refer to the same events and i think that once i've read through those series it will be much easier to get into the to the books that's what i hope so i'm a happy camper again I'll read a lot of these comics this upcoming year and i i remember like the other day i was on a on a lego stream and I was still saying, like, I don't have time to read comics. And it, that's true. The reason that I stopped my subscription two years ago was that I, I was subscribed and I never read the comics. But my life was different. I lived in another parish. I, I had full-time work in television. I never read books. 
let alone comic books. Nowadays, my life is so totally different from what it was. And I, most importantly, I have the habit of reading all the time. I read a hundred novels or a hundred books in one year. Comics are easy, easy. And I have this big iPad, which is perfect for, for Marvel Unlimited. So, yeah, I think it's going to be... It's going to be a very different experience from, from a couple of years ago. So there you go. John Damek, my good friend, he also is subscribed to Marvel Unlimited. And he was like baffled that I, that I stopped my subscription. It's like, dude, you, you should read comics. And I was like, yeah, ain't nobody got no time for that. <laughs> but now I actually I do notice that I, that I have the time and I have the habit. So I'm enjoying it. I was going to talk a little bit about uh, video game history because in 1972, today, the day that I'm recording this, which is November the 29th, Atari launched the, one of the first commercial video games called Pong. I played it as a child. I remember that we were on winter vacation, ski vacation in, in Switzerland, and the hotel where we stayed the first night they did have a table with Pong. And you had to put in, like, the local Swiss currency to play it. And But it also had a demo mode. And it was just these two uh, white stripes. And it was this little pixel that was bouncing. And it was, it was like tennis. And I remember watching that for hours. I didn't have the money my parents wouldn't pay for me playing that game but I just watched the demo for hours I was like oh my gosh it's a television inside a table and it's a video game (gasps) I want more of this well the rest is literally history we've come a long way here's my inspirational quote to wrap up the show if you can't write two pages write one if you can't work out 60 minutes work out 20 If you can't pray for 20 minutes, just pray for five. It's all about the habit of showing up. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk soon. God bless.